Advent is sort of uh, a little bit more than just a, a every day. You know, you get those uh, kind of Webster pack kind of pop-out calendars from Woolworths where you can get mince pies and ham on the bone. Um, and you pop out the little thing and you get a little chocolate each day. Uh, Advent's a little bit more than that. Uh, it's a practice that's, that's come into the church and it comes from the Latin word Adventus. And I kind of always think Latin words are just English words with sort of more you know, we put an S on the end of something, ah, oh, that must be Latin. Uh, and it was translated from the Greek word parousia, which is the word that the New Testament writers used for the coming of Christ. His first coming, Christmas, and also, uh, indeed, his second coming, the, 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 the next parousia, that Christ is going to return again. We just sang it in that, in that song, The Creed. The Christian faith uh, holds it history isn't random it isn't um cyclomatic it's not without purpose but rather history is heading toward a day of judgment but also a day of great renewal and how we experience that day will be tethered to will be tied to how we have uh responded to the claims of the first parousia the first coming of christ and how they relate to his second, all of those things, the two advents of Jesus are all tied up in that. And advent's just a kind of a season that, that leads up to the date that's been attributed to the birth of Jesus. And uh, we really don't know when Jesus was born, but you know, around practical reasons uh, for this, you know, Northern Hemisphere, uh, the advent, the coming of light into the, you know, it was the darkest period of the, of the, of the winter season, the, the winter solace. So, so it, you know, it's sort of practical that this story of light coming into the world, of hope coming into the world and all this sort of stuff. Let's, let's make Christmas around the 25th of December and then uh, we can begin to get these themes. It's an intentional way to get us thinking and discussing how the story of Christmas impacts reality, how the story of Christmas impacts our lives and around big themes that, that Christmas puts to them, themes like hope and peace and joy and love. And normally we would light candles and things like that. Uh, but this year, we, Steve Broughton, he's kind of come in and he's made us these signs. So each week we're going to be lighting up a new sign with a new color uh, and that... Um, will just bring these themes to life. Giving us hope that because of the first Christmas, the first Advent, that on that day, the, the second Advent that comes, everything will be made really good, will be made perfect for those on whom God's favour rests, as we read in that thing, for those uh, who, who have received this good news and, and therefore peace has come into their lives and joy and love and all of these things will be made full and complete and whole at this second advent. And as I said, normally uh, we would light candles but we're, we're rolling with these signs uh, for this year so that's going to be good. Okay, let's pray and we'll, we'll, get, we'll get to work. Loving God, we want to thank you uh, for this time together this morning as we move into this season of Christmas. Uh, we call it the festive season, but uh, we also recognize that it's a, the Advent season, the season where our hearts and our minds, while they compete with all the chaos uh, of finishing off the year and writing reports and getting work done and all this sort of stuff, in our, and just we want to just pause and turn our hearts and our minds towards the story that breaks into all of that, the story of Christmas, of a God who breaks into our lives uh, to, to bring wholeness and, and to bring wholeness around these four themes 
uh, that we have throughout Advent. So we pray this morning as we look at this little reading here from Luke that you would warm our hearts with affection for you, that you would stir this conviction within us and that our lives would be lived in accord with the truths uh, that are contained within your word. Amen. Well, our reading today comes from Luke's account of Jesus and it's one of those iconic... um, scenes from the Christmas narrative you know shepherds watch their flocks by night and all that sort of thing and then angels appear to announce the birth of this very uh, unique child who is described as a saviour who is described as none other than the long-awaited messiah or Christ and who is also described here as the Lord like Definite article, Lord. It's quite an extraordinary uh, amalgamation of titles that are attributed to the announcement of this birth. And this choir of angels light up the sky with a song and majesty in response to this joyous news and this uh, great peace that will fill the hearts of those who receive this favour this announcement of kindness, of of goodwill from God toward humanity for those who receive it with gladness. This Christmas news is, is actually, once people investigate it, once people get into it and respond to it, the angels are telling us that, that it brings peace, that it brings new realities into our lives in the areas where fear used to exist and operate. But uh, we'll probably get more into that next week. And then in contrast to this really kind of miraculous outburst, um, these, these big titles and this kind of mad angelic, which would have made a great TikTok as they, as they burst the skies open, there's also this little baby wrapped carefully in swaddling, sleeping in a manger in this anciently significant but economically obscure town of Bethlehem. As a mum and dad look on and the miraculous gives way to the mundane. And perhaps as we think about this very iconic, this very familiar passage, the first hurdle we must get over is this fantastical, miraculous nature of this ordinary event. The backstory of this virgin conception that the child in the womb of this young mom is the work of the Holy Spirit who begins the process of putting flesh onto God himself in the same way that that flesh would grow on an embryo. The fact that heaven is torn open and angels step into the realm of the physical to announce that God has come, but not in any way that you could ever dare dream up. Timothy Keller notes in his book, Making Sense of God in the second edition, that we modern people think of miracles as a suspension, like a violation of the natural order. They can't happen because they disrupt natural rules and laws. But Christmas and Jesus meant these things to be the restoration, meant miracles, meant the miraculous to be the restoration of the natural order. The Bible tells us that God did not originally make the world to have disease and hunger and death in it. And at Christmas, Jesus has come to redeem these where, where, where it's all gone wrong and heal the world where it's all broken. The plausibility of the miraculous demonstrates God's power and uh, provides a wonderful foretaste as we get in these things, provides this wonderful foretaste of what he's going to do through and with his power. Christmas is more than just a challenge of our minds, 
but a promise to our hearts that the world we want, all the things we, we, we long for, we hope for, are actually coming. A universe devoid of God, devoid of the miraculous, means that any meaning that we ascribe to things like hope and peace and joy and love are just really a delusion like inscribing reality into the surface of a pond. Very transient. Christmas, it turns out, is more than just mere sentimentality that's confined to Christmas cards and, and, and just... And perhaps prompting us to be of good cheer for, for a moment in time. Christmas, like God himself, is both more wondrous and indeed more threatening than we ever imagined. Because Christmas asks us to hope in more than words that are just written on a pond, than in a person of history and eternity. But we all face, face this hurdle of where to place our hope. What do we trust in? What, what story do we want to uh, connect our lives to? Timothy Keller notes again that we are irreducibly hope-based creatures. Our experience, our state of being, uh, it's just tied to what we believe our expected future to be. What we believe the future to be holds and shapes how we experience and interpret the now, how we live. And all of us tend to place our hope in pretty scary spaces. We hope that our health won't fail. We hope that our jobs will last. We hope that the person we're married to won't wound us, won't, won't hurt us. We hope that our loved ones won't die. We hope that if we work hard, we'll be rewarded. We hope that if we are good, then good things will happen. Good things will unfold. We want to be sure, <clears throat> we want to be secure, and we want to live with courage. We don't want to be weakened by fear, paralyzed by doubt, or filled with anxiety, wondering what's next. However, our experience of this life means that there is, in hope itself, a degree of insecurity, a degree of doubt, and it shapes how we live. And as good a thing that hope is, it's only as certain, it only breeds as much confidence in you as the thing that it, or the object that it's attached to. But did you know that we were never actually meant to be irreducibly hope-based creatures? It's a nice observation by Tim Keller, but it's not how we were meant to be. We saw in our Genesis series that we were originally created enjoying certainty. We, we were created enjoying security, the very good we saw. And before we ever hoped, we trusted, we knew. We lived without fear, we lived without dread, without terror and without anxiety. We never wondered or doubted about our ultimate future because we lived in this faithful uh, certainty of relationship with God and it you know, flowed out into each other. And we were filled with deep peace. And we experienced exceeding joy. And we had love that was intimate and authentic and without reservation. And the Bible describes this whole picture as, as being naked, as being fully known without any shame or suspicion. <clears throat> but hope now... And its unsettling uncertainty about the future is a product of our rebellion and sin against God. 
It has put a base note of fear into the human condition due to our dependency now on our own self-sufficiency. And we kind of know that we are not qualified to live without God. We kind of know that we are not qualified to write our own meaning into things, to create our own hope. And in Genesis 3, we, we read how the story of human sin Replace security with fear, love with indifference, peace with restlessness, joy with insecurity. But then into this fallen condition, we hear God make this gracious promise that a child will come, a promised hope will save and restore all things. It was into this hopeless state that God spoke a promise back at the relative beginning of of human history. That he would rescue humanity from this hopelessness of sin through a descendant of humanity. A child who would feel the penalty of sin, but in doing so would conquer its power and redefine our hope around their activity, around what this child has done. It was an enigmatic promise that gathered clarity as the story of history and the story of the Old Testament unfolded. It was a note of hope that rang out through human history and it has an entirely different kind of quality to it. It's a quality of hope that is attached to the character of God, to the zeal of the Lord and his passionate desire for our well-being and his glory. This hope is spoken to us in a promise that we are not abandoned and alone in this world, that insecure hope is not the last word for life on planet earth that God will restore what has been lost. As we saw in Genesis, this gracious promise of God become the organizing theme for Scripture and the Bible and the rest of human history. And every character and every event finds its place in relation to this promise and this child of hope. One of the most familiar voices about this hope was a prophet by the name of Isaiah who lived uh, some 750 years before the recorded birth of Jesus and he spoke into a time of unmet hopes of people moving away from God in hopelessness though Isaiah was one of many uh, of voices um, at the time Isaiah himself lived in a time of great uncertainty about the future looming in the north if you like was this emerging superpower Assyria that was laying waste to everything without mercy that lay in its path and Isaiah spoke into this time of misplaced hope of human depravity and corruption where people acquitted the guilty for a bribe a time where people thought only of their own interests at the expense of others like uncaring capitalism Uh, we read there is house is joined to house and hard-working individuals are just swallowed up and crushed as this machine kind of rolls along an environment that is not too dissimilar to ours where there are no uh, absolutes evil is good and good is evil darkness is light and light is darkness and sweet is bitter and bitter is sweet as I describes it a time where people sought wisdom and insight from creation and not from its creator where they sought wisdom from the dead and, and the spirit world and not the living let alone from the, the living God a time where everything that people had placed their hope in had turned to dust and rubble. And into this darkness, into this despair, God speaks through the prophet Isaiah of a child who will bring about an incredible transformation, a wonderful reversal of this experience. 
Isaiah says in chapter 9, A people enslaved, hopeless darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has dawned, a light has shone. Notice that it doesn't say that from the world a light has sprung, but upon the world a light has dawned, a light has shone, like the rising of a sun, like something outside of this world is coming. But how is this promised light? How is this hope dawned on us? Who is this all-powerful figure of reversal that will bring joy and hope that's described in Isaiah 9? Well, not a warrior, not a great military figure, and not a political mastermind, not some kind of colossus, but a child. We read on and Isaiah says in chapter 9, 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And Isaiah had said earlier uh, in the piece in chapter 7 that this child will be the offspring of a virgin who will be God with us. And this, this is this story forming up. God's response and promise to every dread and every fear, uh, every insecurity and uncertainty that has filled humanity is this Christmas child, Jesus. Not a hope that has emerged out of human effort, but a hope that has arrived out of divine promise. A hope that has described uh, by another announcement, now by angels, in which every word of the announcement of these angels kind of drips with significance and meaning, and it comes with the authority of heaven itself. The angels said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, for unto you, this is plural, like everybody, is born this day in the city of David a saviour, who is Christ the Lord. Firstly, we see that this child of hope is a saviour, which in the context here means that someone who rescues and delivers people from death and destruction, like God had done for Israel time and time again, implying here that we need saving. Our hope has to come from outside of our resources. Christmas recognises and responds to... Uh, the human condition of experienced fracture and disorder. Christmas is not sentimental. Christmas is deeply real realization that we need to be rescued from ourselves. Like Christmas speaks that message to us. God throughout scripture is seen as the one who delivers and rescues from various types of peril, constantly saving his people from all that they fear, be it an enemy or an illness. And now this Christmas child is God's final, decisive act of salvation, filling up all of this Old Testament expectation. However, God's hope is not displayed in might and power. It is displayed with humility as he empathizes emphasizes empathizes has empathy with the poor and the humble this is an approachable god this is a relational god that we see coming this act of salvation too is not just for the select few who we might deem as worthy of rescue like let's just take the best of people and see if we can make another community it is for people of all standing as this child is born into poverty born into obscurity identifying with the most vulnerable, those who are at the most risk from dysfunctional power systems and abusive power, in comes God right into that environment and identifies with people there. Secondly, this hope is 
historically anticipated is not just a random event nor is it written into the swirling subjective surface of a philosophical pond but it, it, it forms up in human history this child is Christ a messiah it's a technical term for the promised one one who would come from the family of the line of King David it was a promise that was spoken into history to real people in real times and this promise now becomes a part of history for Israel the coming of the Messiah held not was not kind of this quaint and calm little thing if anything the hope of a Messiah conjured up images of warfare uh, you know spiritual war and, and the re-establishing of Israel the overthrowing of Roman empires and things like that but this Messiah has not come with such small things in mind he hasn't come with a sword rather we read that this Messiah's coming is associated with the forgiveness of sins Christmas recognizes that the issue behind all that robs us of hope is actually sin we don't need new governments we don't need uh, new legislation and laws and rules and new marriages or whatever it is what we actually need is new hearts that is fundamentally what this Christmas child has come to address and finally Christmas gives us a hope in something that is greater and bigger than us this child of Christmas hope is no ordinary person he's described here as the Lord Luke has used the title Lord over a dozen times already already in this little gospel we're only in chapter 2 in in this reading and always with reference to to Lord God to God now this child born down there in the city of David is the Lord is God in the flesh divine sovereign ruler of all things and all lives this hope is not attached to human effort but to the very character and power of God that has guided history to this moment and now steps into history as a person to bring hope Luke is making the point through this uh, integration of names that this is a rescue mission from none other than God himself to rescue us from our greatest peril and fear and replace them with our greatest hope God himself the angel is announcing that into uh, this context of fear and anxiety God has come not as a wrathful judge but as an imminent savior God has come as one who seeks reconciliation and redemption and God himself not us will be the means of achieving this Christmas tells us that God seeks to restore the relationship of intimacy of intimacy and joy and peace and love and turn our base note of fear into a solid assurance of hope Christmas is the arrival of the promised child spoken of back in the Garden of Eden the child that all of history has longed for a child who will put us back together across all lines with each other and with God Christmas doesn't merely happen to let us know God exists Christmas is God's promise of reconciliation to bring us near to God so that we can live with real hope at Christmas we see how Jesus was prepared to enter into our hopelessness that we might see him and that we might see and have a relational object of hope a dawning hope into our lives hope that we don't have to create but hope that has come to us 
You see, Christmas is not about pretending that everything's great and that we don't suffer and that we don't struggle or live in challenging environments and have challenging relationships. Christmas is not about trying to paint over the cracks. Christmas is about acknowledging that things can feel hopeless, but God knows this, and God hears this, and God has responded to this in deeply personal ways. He has got involved to bring hope to us. Christmas means that we live in a world that has been visited by its maker. God has shown up. That is how interested and committed he is to your well-being. Christmas tells us that God himself has come to provide ultimate hope. And all we have to do is receive it. It has come to find us. All we really need is need. Jesus, the child at the center of this Christmas story, is the hope of the world. The arrival of a promise made in eternity past, based on the character and the love of God. This is an object, this is a promise, this is a person in whom we can place our fiercest hope. But Christmas is not the completion of the story, though. Like I said, Jesus didn't just arrive to show us God exists. That could be the kind of object of hope that still leaves us striving in our own efforts. Christmas is the arrival of a God who has not come to tell us what we must do to find hope in him, but rather we discover that God has come to rescue us from hoping in the wrong things. God has come to be our hope and to be our saviour as the base of that hope. The manger is where Jesus stepped out of eternity and entered into human history But Jesus didn't just enter into history merely just to meet with some friends, uh, to live an example of hope that we might aspire to. Um, If we could all just be like Jesus, the world would be a much better place. True, but that picture of hope leaves us still hoping in our own efforts. Now Jesus took the perfect life that he lived out of that manger all the way to a cross and there he exchanged it for our hopelessness. Christmas ultimately leads us to the cross And here we find the full extent of hope that God would not just enter into our world, but that he would die in our place so that we could enter into his. Christmas invites us to consider the story of a child who is promised Messiah and who is Lord, become our saviour, who offered himself as an object and means of our hope that every heart can be renewed, that every heart can find uh, new joy, new peace, New love. As we finish this morning, as we reflect on Christmas, we reflect on all that Jesus has done. As we come to these tables, as we come to communion, just to kind of come together as a community around this hope, we give thanks for the coming of Jesus at Christmas. And we stand in the hope of his second coming. That there is a life and love, and peace, and hope after death. And that this story of Christmas is the story that secures that for us. So this morning, as we begin Advent, as we, as we kick off this season, we want to bring our hearts and our minds to these tables and just reflect on that and think through that and give thanks for that. And just eat the bread in your own time, and then we'll drink, we'll hold the cups, and uh, we'll drink that together. It just signifies our unity of hope that we have found in Christ this morning.
servant and king, Lord and Messiah, rescued us. This first Christmas leads us to this promise of, of God coming for us, making it a concrete, known, historic fact, and it leads us all the way in the story to the cross where we see this exchange of uh, his life for ours, and that's what we gather around in hope. And it's not a vague hope. It's not like writing letters into the surface of a pond. It's letters inscribed into eternity from a God who comes to us and says, find hope in me. Let's drink together this morning in gladness of that. I mean, God, we thank you for this story of a God who comes into our lives, who comes into human history to find us and to bring us... uh, a message of hope, a message of reconciliation, a message that the sin and everything that tears humanity apart, that holds us in fear, that holds us apart from you, is being dealt with uh, through your Son and now is restoring us back into relationship with you and with each other. And we give you thanks for that this morning. As we move into this season of Christmas, may we be thinking around that. May our hearts be mindful of a God who would come and and deal with our sin in a way uh, that, that frees us and brings us into life with you. And we give you thanks for that this morning. Amen.